So it gives me a super, super big pleasure to introduce, I was going to say our guest speaker, but Pete is here so often these days, <laughs> twice a year. Would you put a big round of applause for our friend and brother, Pete Gilbert, who's going to be speaking today, Pete? Just going to go straight over to you, mate. You're right. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Zio Church. Oh. Zio Church. <laughs> That's more passionate. That's good. Uh, I think it may have been the last time I was here, actually, and you'd announced the name, but you'd not yet become the thing. And now you are the thing. Zio Church. Fantastic. I'm so excited for you. It's great to be uh, here with you. I bring you greetings from King's Church in Vaness, which is the church of which I'm a part. Sounds quite boring, doesn't it, after Zio Church? But, but there we go. All the same king. Um, and I'm really excited to be speaking as part of your series of encounters with God through Jesus. Uh, I'm really excited to be preaching this morning uh, on the subject of the God who sets us free. You want to be free? <laughs> Do you want to be free? Yes, yes okay. So uh, I should say, uh, at the end of what I've got to say, I'm not going to speak for very long, an hour and a half at the, at the most. No, no, not really. Uh, I'm going to give an opportunity for folks to respond according to what God has said to you. It may be that uh, that's through words of knowledge which I use, things that God has said to me about you, uh, but to respond and to come forward for prayer so that you might be free. Long ago, in a galaxy, many, many, you feel like you want to see the big words, don't you, going off up the screen. Long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, there was a time when I used to be an escapologist. Do you know, you know what an escapologist is? Yeah? So somebody who, who breaks out of handcuffs and chains and straitjackets and all that sort of stuff. And I used to do all that kind of thing. And I used to do it uh, at family fun days in front of, I think the biggest crowd I ever played was about 20,000 people in northeast London. I'd do it on TV. Uh, one of the oddest things I ever did was a handcuff escape on Radio 1's Newsbeat. I mean, think about that, a handcuff on radio, really big. Oh, and now he's out. Amazing. And, uh, and so I used to be an escapologist, and I, I wonder whether that's why they asked me uh, to speak on the whole subject of freedom. You know, remembering my days when I would hang 120 feet up in the air by my feet whilst getting out of a straitjacket. Yes, I am that strange. And actually, uh, I, I really wanted to speak on this subject, not because long ago and in a galaxy far away, I really did used to be an escapologist, uh, but because I am passionate, I am passionate about Christians finding wholeness and finding freedom. And that word in the Bible is such a lovely little word. As often as not, when you read about freedom in the Bible, it's the word sozo. It's the same word that's often used for the word deliverance. It's in this story here that we're about to read. It's the same word that's used for healing. It's the same word that's used for cleansing. It's the same word that's used for salvation. And it may be that there are people here this morning and you come along to church and you kind of believe that there is a God, but you don't know the God that you believe. And I'm going to give an opportunity for folks like that as well this morning to find the God who at the moment seems to be far from you to become close with you. 
And I'll give you that opportunity as well because that, this is, if I'm describing you, this is your day. This is your moment. It's about freedom. It's about wholeness. It's about salvation. It's about cleansing. It's about deliverance. Sozo is the little word that's used in the New Testament uh, Greek. And, and, and I'm interested that Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 8 and verse 36. He said, If you follow me, if you are my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And just a little bit after that, by the time you get to John 14, verse 6, Jesus personalizes it, and he says, I am the truth. So it's Jesus, the truth, who sets us free. But the interesting thing is that even as Christians, freedom can be lost. We can lose our freedom. Paul makes that really clear when he writes to the church at Galatia. And in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, and it's a wonderful uh, opening to the chapter. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so I keep standing in, on the inside of myself and kind of checking out, Pete, how free are you really? How free are you today? Not when you got saved all those years ago when you were 19 years old at university, but now, 20 odd years later, how, how free are you, do you find yourself today? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Paul goes on to write in Galatians that it's possible for us to be all trammeled up again, all taffled up again, all tied up again. And to lose some of our freedom that Christ has bought. It's all been paid for. The question is, are we appropriating it? Are we laying hold of it? So we're going to read a story. Now this is the other reason why I think they asked me to speak on this topic. Not because I used to be an escapologist, but because we're going to read a really wacky story. And I'm a fairly wacky person. So if you've got a Bible with you, it's going to help you to turn to Mark's Gospel and chapter 5. The God who sets us free. And there here is a wacky, wacky story. Follow it with me. I'll read it through. And then I want to make just a few points from this story. And we'll give an opportunity for folks to respond, not to me, uh, but to God. Okay, starting in chapter uh, 5. They, that's the disciples in a boat with Jesus. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or some translations say Gergarenes or Gadarenes. It's three little towns all close together. One a town, one a village, one on the lake shore, one a little bit further in. So it's in that kind of region, the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. And fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. This is not a Jewish area, so it would be okay that there were herds of pigs uh, in this area. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What a wacky story. How do you translate that story into our day and age? Well, let's have a little shot at what that story can show us and can teach us and how it can engage with us this morning and how we might be more free because of an encounter with the God who sets us free through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's start at the beginning of the story in in verse 1. If you track back, we haven't got time, into into chapter 4, you'll find that they're crossing this sea, uh, the Sea of Galilee, they're crossing it at night. Now, actually, a number of Jesus' followers are fishermen, and they would know better than that. They would know not to cross the sea at night, because most of the uh, storms that took place, that would storm you by day, you might fish at night, but actually if a storm hit you by night, you are in real problem. That's exactly what happens at the end of chapter 4. But Jesus... Jesus is a man on a mission. He is leaving the crowds behind him. We've just been reading about that in chapter 4. He's leading the throng behind him, all the needy people behind him. He gets into a boat. He sails four hours across a dangerous sea. He gets out of the boat at the other side and he deals with one person. So despite personal risk to himself... Despite moving across from a Jewish area into a Gentile area, crossing not only a sea, but crossing a culture gap with all of the challenge of being out of safety zones, Jesus goes from the crowd to the one person. And I want to say to you this morning, Zio Church, he is here for the ones and twos. He's not just here for you as a crowd, as a pressing throng, full of need or full of excitement and passion. He is here for the ones and the twos and the threes and the fours this morning. And he will do whatever it takes to get across to you. He will pay whatever price is necessary. The supreme price that he paid, we've just remembered when he died on a cross, a bloody Roman gibbet. 
so that he could pay the price for my selfishness and self-centeredness and for yours. He'll do whatever it takes. He doesn't have safety zones. He just goes for it. Why is that? Because if we think we're zeal, if we think we're passionate, Jesus is passionate. He's passionate about people. And so he crosses this sea. He leaves behind the many and goes for the one. Listen, there are people here this morning, and I've, I've seen this happen so many times. Believe me, it's not me. It's that what God does. There are people here this morning, and you feel like I'm speaking just to you. And I'm looking across a whole throng of people, and I keep moving around, and I keep my eyes moving, but you feel like I'm speaking just to you. And it's because Jesus wants to set you free. It's because he wants to cross whatever it takes to get to you. And then we read on in verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit. Uh, It's a a bit of an unusual word, that word evil. Uh, Some of your versions, if you're following in the Bible, it might say unclean. Akathatos is the word in the Greek, and it's a kind of slightly imprecise word. It does mean evil spirit, but it also means an unclean spirit, something which is uh, impure. You know what, I, 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 uh, I get a little bit frustrated because we're heading now, full tilt, aren't we, uh, towards Christmas. And, and we'll be and you'll be soon celebrating all the wonders and the blessing of the Christmas story and the nativity. And, uh, and that story is peopled with angels uh, and Gabriel and, 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 and flocks of shepherds and angels singing and all that sort of stuff. And I meet loads and loads of Christians. You ask them, do you believe in God? Yeah, of course I believe in God. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in angelic beings? Yeah, yeah, I believe in angels. The word angel is a Hebrew word that means a messenger from God, one who is sent from God yeah yeah I believe in angels I believe that story was literally true that God intervened in human history and he announced it through angelic beings and then you say do you believe in demons and they go not sure not sure about that I wonder what your world view is this morning we don't have time or indeed need to completely unpack this but this I want to tell you there is an enemy of God There is a personalised enemy, not a vague force, a personalised enemy of God. And he too has messengers, sent ones, fallen angels probably. Demonic beings, spiritual entities. And do you know what they want to do? They want to populate people. They're looking all the time for a landing strip. If you give them any ground, any permission in your life, they're looking for a landing strip so that they might, as Scripture describes, afflict or oppress or sorely oppress you. They're trying to stop you from being free. They're trying to stop you from being free. And here is a man who we find in a terrible uh, state. And there's a little description uh, given of him there in verse 3. We don't need to go into details. I'll just make the point, really, that, think about it, because he's living amongst the tombs, in Jewish eyes, that makes him unclean. Because he's living amongst the dead, if you like. And because he's, he's wrecking stuff, he's breaking stuff, in another translation, he's ripping his clothes as well. Because he has supernatural strength, because he's out all night, some of us need to take note of this, because he's out all night, in Jewish thinking, that means that he is mad. 
That's how they would define insanity. So here is a man who, who seems to be off his head, but more than that, he seems to be oppressed by a demonic activity. Demons are real. And then we see something fascinating. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Even in that state, even messed up, even though he has self-harmed, even though he has cut himself, the letting of blood, another sign that something is going on here to do with sacrifice but not to God. He's cutting himself. Even though he's in a terrible state, mentally and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually, he's still capable of seeing Jesus from a distance. And what is his response when he sees Jesus? Can I suggest to you, church, this morning, this is always the response if we really see Jesus. He runs towards Jesus and he falls at his feet. Now, I've looked at the words that are used there in the original language, fell on his knees in front of him. And the word that's used there is the word proscuneo. In the original language, that means to worship. So even before he's set free, even before he's experienced salvation, what it is to be forgiven and to be freed, he sees Jesus. Okay, it starts from a distance, but he quickly closes the gap and falls on his knees and worships Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, church, that I've found this to be true in my life, and I think you'll find it's true in yours as well. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situations, however distant you might feel away from Jesus, here is the truth, because the truth will set you free. You are not a victim. You are not a victim. You can, even if you're messed up and unsure and insecure, you can still run towards Jesus and fall at his feet and worship him. And then we read on in the story, and it is really a wacky story, isn't it? Jesus asks him, what is your name? Now, it's interesting that the response that Jesus gets in the second half of verse 9 seems to come from these demonic entities. My name is Legion, for we are many. But I would suggest to you that when Jesus says in verse 9, what is your name? He's not interested in the work of the enemy in that man's life at that time what he's actually trying to do is engage with the man. What he's saying is, hey guy, hey, you talk to me, not the demons, you talk to me. What is your name? Why does Jesus do that? Because Jesus all the time is looking to engage with the person. He's trying to reinvest this man who's in such a state with a sense of his dignity and with a sense of his identity. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you back what the enemy robs from you. Your identity and your dignity and your security, your future, as well as covering your past. And so that, I think, is what's going on there in verse 9. And in verse 10, the story only gets wackier. 
Because now we have the demons through the man saying, please don't send us out of the area. And as I read this story, I think it's a little bit strange because I think if I was writing this story, I would have Jesus send them out of the area. I wouldn't have Jesus do what they ask him. I'd, I'd have him say, no, you're not staying here. Off you go. So this is an unusual reaction from Jesus because the demons beg to be left in the area and Jesus allows them to stay in the area. Why is that then? Dare we suggest that it's because these demons have the right to be there. They've been allowed to live there. They've been allowed to stay there. They've been permissioned by by the man himself, but also by the people in the area. We see the clue of that towards the end of the story. When the people send Jesus, who's just done a, a wonderful, miraculous work of setting somebody free, and they say, go away, we're scared, go away, go away. They have been permissioned to dwell here, and Jesus therefore allows them. But... He sends the demons from the man into the pigs. Now, we don't know. We know it's plural demons because it says spirits in the plural there in the original language. Uh, We know that there were 2,000 pigs, but I doubt that there were 2,000 demons in one person. My goodness, what a state he would be in. So I think we have a few demons who are liars, because the enemy is the father of lies. And some of you are living currently, you can be free in just a few minutes' time, but you are living currently under some of the lies of the evil one. So here are some spirits who get driven into the pigs, and the pigs panic, lemming-like, and throw themselves. Pigs become lemmings, and they throw themselves over uh, the cliff. And then we read... A wonderful thing in verse uh, 15. So the pigs have gone into the water. Some have said that the reason why that happens is so that the man can see that the enemy is destructive. And also that the enemy has left him. And so the pigs throw themselves into the water. And in verse 15, we read this wonderful thing. The the, the people come, they've heard the disturbance. They come to Jesus and they see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. The language that's used there is is beautiful. Uh, it, It gets translated there as dressed and in his right mind, but it's actually stronger language than that. It actually means he's sitting there adopted. He's been adopted into the family of God. He's been forgiven. He's been cleansed. He's been healed. He's been delivered. He's been adopted. And in fact, it's a discipleship term as well. Now he's sitting at the feet. That doesn't just tell you where he was geographically. It means that he is disi- he's being discipled. He wants to follow Christ as on a settled destiny. It's all wrapped up there in the language of verse uh, 15. And the people are afraid. They've lost <laughs> a large herd of swine, what, Je- what Jews would call filthy lucre, dirty money. They've lost a large herd of swine. A man who they used to ridicule has now been set free. The God who sets us free. And they don't want 
to have to encounter this man who is this man, this not just good man, but this God man. They don't want him in their turf. They want their turf to be their turf. And they say, would you please get out of our region? And here's the second odd thing that Jesus does. He goes. And I'm thinking, if I was writing this story, I wouldn't have sent the pigs into either. I'd have got the pigs out of the area. If I was writing this story and they told me to leave and I was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God wrapped up in human flesh, I wouldn't have done what they said. I would have stayed put and done some more stuff. But Jesus does what they ask him to do. He gets back in the boat and sails back, dangerous trip, back for out across the sea. Why does he do that? Oh, man. Because Christ will never force himself upon you. Because what he's looking for is your willing surrender. Because he's looking for your yielding. He's looking for your bowing the knee to his kingship, to his love, to his life. He will not force you. Because you see, the Son of God so perfectly represents the Father. The Holy Spirit so perfectly shows us the Son. The triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is a lover, not a rapist. He will not force himself upon you. And it may well be that even as I use that word... Something goes off inside of you and you know that you need some prayer to be free from a dark area of your past. And so Jesus goes because he's not welcome. But where Jesus is welcome, he goes the quickest and stays the longest. Which is why we need to welcome into our lives, into our families, into our church, into our work. end of the story ah, there we go almost at the end of the story and uh, the, what do we read on Jesus goes and uh, and then the third strange things happens and the man says to Jesus I want to come with you I, I've been adopted into your family I want to be discipled by you. I want to follow you I want to be close to you you've made me free you've cleansed me you've healed me you've delivered me you've saved me and Jesus says, no. And you think, no, surely Jesus would say, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. Get in the boat with me. It's okay. We'll go from here. Get in the boat with me. But Jesus says, no. Why? Because Jesus wants to show this man that just as Christ has come to him, so now he, free and in his right mind, must go to other people. Just like we are called to do. You see, this... This wonderful freedom that Christ offers us, free from sin, free from sickness, free from suffering, free from Satan. This wonderful freedom that Christ offers us is not just for our personal selfish benefit. It's for us to revel in and give away by the bucket load and give away. 
And so Jesus says, go back and tell your family the good things that God has done for you. But not just your family. Go to the Decapolis. That means uh, 10 Greek cities, 10 free Greek cities. Do a little tour is what Jesus is saying and tell everybody how good God has been. And you are the evidence now. Show them what he has done in setting you free. And with this I finish. You know what? As we read on in in the gospel, a little bit later on, Jesus goes back again into this same region. But this time when he goes back, it says that the crowds received him gladly. People flocked out bringing their sick and their demonized people sorely oppressed and afflicted so that he could touch them and see them healed and follow him. Not like they do here in chapter 5. When he goes back, they receive him gladly. Why? What's the difference? The only difference I can find, and I've trolled through scripture on this one, is this man showed and told his story well. And so Jesus was received. And that's our job. With the freedom, Zio Church, with the freedom that Christ has given you, so now you are to give it away to others, starting with your family, as he sends you into your area. Well, there you go. Zio Church. The God who sets you free. I wonder if you'd close your eyes just for a moment.